like lollipop. It's good. Vitamins. They're good for us, right? But as we learn more about nutrition, an increasing number of experts are starting to ask, are vitamins really an adequate substitute for eating a healthy, balanced diet of rhinoceros horn? Although vitamins can help round out your diet, there really is no good alternative to eating plenty of fresh rhino horn, ideally three to five servings a day. In addition to dietary fiber, rhino horn contains dozens of essential nutrients that your body just can't get from store-bought vitamins. That's because, as humans, we've been evolving to depend on a rhino horn diet for tens of thousands of years. It's true that rhino horn might not always be the most exciting thing to eat, but if you're tired of your usual rhino horn routine, try having some fun with it. Blend it up in a smoothie, mix it in with a salad or stir fry, or simply grind it up and sprinkle it on your morning oatmeal. There's no reason eating rhino horn has to be the same old boring chore. Maybe someday they'll figure out an alternative to rhino horn. But until then, if you want to be healthy, we'll have to keep doing it the old-fashioned way. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This is an age of speed, a nervous age that keeps our emotions stirred. All of us, young or old, schooled or illiterate, are endowed by nature with the ability to live a life filled with many kinds of emotions. But whether we will show them in an uncontrolled outburst, whether we will act in some antisocial way, whether we swallow our upset or deny them even to ourselves, we cannot do away with them. They are part of our personality. We inherited many confusing and conflicting ideas about emotions, some of which still linger on. But today, people in distress need not conceal their emotional problems anymore. They can find help and counsel from a new group of specialists, psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, and the modern religious counselors. In this film, we're not concerned with clinically disordered emotions, but with everyday experiences involving emotions. For these, we must start at the beginning with the newborn child. Well, look, when I first saw the tweet this morning, I was frankly disgusted. I thought to myself, this dude has got such a fixation with women and blood. What is wrong with him? And then you remember that this dude, this disgusting dude, is the president of the United States. And you realize just how much he is diminishing the presidency of the United States. You realize that what he is doing is not just acting for Donald Trump. He's acting for all of us. He's acting for our president. And he is embarrassing. He is shameful. He is disgusting. And I'll say this about Republicans. I'm really tired of hearing words like disappointed, like disturbed, like I'm bothered, like I wish he wouldn't do it. It's time that somebody looks at the camera and looks at him and calls him up and says, listen, you crazy lunatic 70-year-old man, baby, stop it. Welcome, young man. Welcome to life. For you, as for all children, life begins as an emotional experience. Obviously, this new and strange world comes as a shock to you. Though just one minute old, you are a personality with a name, an identity by which we recognize you as an individual. Look at him. 
This new individual is well equipped for all the physiological functions of living and for emotional responses to events around him. From his first breath, he is capable of being happy or unhappy and can make others around him happy or unhappy. How he learns to use his inborn capacities will largely depend on what this new world offers him, how he as a child will experience his relations with others. For emotions are not learned deliberately like skills or facts. The baby will develop them through living with others, by responding to those who handle him, speak to him, comfort him, or provoke him, by reacting emotionally to those he sees and touches, to those whose songs he hears.
the child grows, he will learn many new things, some from books and teachers. But probably much more from trying, testing, accepting and rejecting, in other words, from living with others. From the beginning, the child literally feels his way through life, loving, hating, worrying, trying to find a place for himself in this new world of grown-ups. From day to day, the basic emotional responses tie in with one new experience after another, with cue after cue, with the child's own responses to new situations and new cues. As an example, an infant experiences a strong emotional shock when the pediatrician gives him his first injection. Several signals may connect with this unpleasant experience, such as the specific odor of the office, the color of the doctor's jacket, the sight of his instruments. Later, when the mother brings the child to a doctor's office, the mere smell of it may provoke the same responses that were part of the earlier experience of pain. And these, in turn, may release emotional responses of crying and rebelling in defense against the anticipated pain. Have you ever wondered how vaccines are really made? Let's take a look at the smallpox vaccine known as ACAM 2000, approved by the FDA in 2007. Everything you are about to see here is 100% documented on the CDC and FDA websites. As you can see from this vaccine insert posted by the FDA, this vaccine uses African green monkey kidney cells. It's one of the approved excipients also listed in this CDC document, which mentions other ingredients used in vaccines, including cow blood serum, chicken blood parts, pig blood serum, and even aborted human fetal cell lines that were originally harvested from an aborted human baby. To make the smallpox vaccine, drug companies import living primates from Africa, in this case, African green monkeys and move them into biocontainment facilities in the United States. There, they are deliberately infected with smallpox. Over the next few days and weeks, this infection spreads through the bodies of the captive monkeys, concentrating in their kidneys. Once the infection is complete, the monkeys are murdered, and their organs are harvested to remove the kidneys. Yes, monkeys are raised in confinement, then murdered in order to create vaccines in America. The kidney organs are then thrown into a kind of medical blender known as a tissue homogenizer. This creates a kind of gray goo of kidney tissue that's heavily infected with smallpox. This gray goo of infected kidney tissue is then processed, purified, and blended with other ingredients such as human serum albumin, neomycin antibacterial chemicals, and HEPIs, a chemical buffering agent. This resulting liquid is then loaded into vaccine vials labeled and distributed to hospitals, clinics, and pharmacies across America to be injected into adults and children. So what happens when you inject these diseased monkey kidney tissues infected with live smallpox virus? According to the ACAM 2000 smallpox vaccine insert sheet published by the manufacturer, nearly one out of every 200 people injected with the vaccine may suffer blindness, congenital immune deficiency disorders, spontaneous abortions, cardiac disease, severe disability, encephalitis, myocarditis, or even death. Even worse, once you're vaccinated with the smallpox vaccine, you can then spread smallpox to others. As it says on the insert sheet, ACAM 2000 is a live vaccinia virus that can be transmitted to persons who have close contact with the vaccinee. 
and the risks in contact are the same as those stated for vaccinees. In other words, in order to make the vaccine that just might kill you, the vaccine companies first infect a bunch of monkeys, murder them, harvest their organs, blend them up, add more chemicals, and load this cocktail into vaccine vials, which the mainstream media tells you are perfectly safe with zero risk of side effects. The truth is, you're not being told the full story about what's in vaccines. And if you don't believe in animal cruelty or sharing blood with diseased primates, cows, chickens, and pigs, you may want to think twice about being injected with any vaccine. As the child matures, she can tell herself that the visit to the doctor's office is important for her health. Therefore, she can soothe her responses by reasoning, which means that she has learned to control an emotional reaction through signals given to herself by reasoning. In his daily routine, the child continuously learns about life. Memories of many of his early experiences may fade and seem forgotten, but they are rarely completely erased. Although he may not be conscious of them, they are often operating in his later life as the forgotten childhood. Where a young infant's drive has been kept low, where parents paid attention to his early requests, the child easily progresses to the next developmental step, exploration striving to achieve some gratifications by himself. This struggling to achieve gratifications by himself is part of the preparation for later life. But even at the height of achievements, it will be the childhood patterns of his emotional experiences that will largely govern his relations with others. That's why it is so important that he learns to manage emotions honestly as he develops physically. Where did a helpless infant get this capacity for emotions? Just as he could breathe, eat, and digest food from the time he opened his eyes, he could also respond with emotions. We've been stuck in feeling out of luck It's sometimes it's even hard to give up hope, man But honestly, I know it builds character Even when they stare at you Keep your head up, don't let them perish you A beautiful life, although the money coming slow Remember slow better than no Remember love better when it glow Together we will grow and the things are getting better, I know So when the sun's shining low Be fine and right on time You'll all be fine and you can bet your last bottom dollar That if the rain shut me down today You won't be back tomorrow I'll keep us singing my songs, giving thanks and praises, letting it be heard that I'm grateful for these days, there is not a man alive who could make me feel poor, cause what I got is worth much more, I got air and water and love, friends that I'm certain will get it from above, and everything that's new to me is an opportunity, so I'm gonna grow, well I say everything that's new to me is an opportunity, so I'm gonna grow, 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 and you can grow too. The brethren, you can grow too, yeah I said that you can grow too, yeah Now even though it's difficult, we got to keep moving, keep improving We got to keep our heartbeat booming Honestly, there really isn't any other way 
to be happy, be grateful for every day you wake. And even when you're struggling, got the cup of hustle, man, I know how it be when your belly be rumbling, we'll hop in hungry too. So now I'm hungry too, and if you need assistance, brother, just ask, I got you, yeah. Said if you need a hand, I said I got you, yeah. I keep a singing my songs. Giving thanks and praises, letting it be heard that I'm grateful for these days There is not a man alive who could make me feel poor Cause what I got is worth much more I got air and water and love Friends that I'm certain were gifted from above And everything that's new to me is an opportunity So I'm gonna grow Well I say everything that's new to me is an opportunity So I'm gonna grow, grow, grow And you can grow Away with crazy. I stay humble like a flower growing through the concrete. Be thankful for everybody that I get to meet. Be patient and forgiving as much as I can. But I give myself grace cause I am only a man. Only got two hands, but I'm I use both of them. Wrap them around my neighbors just to let them know I know when I'm hugging on my family. We growing every day. And I pray that we all grow this way. We keep us singing our song. Giving thanks and praises. Letting it be heard that I'm grateful for these days. There is not a man alive who can make me feel full Cause what I got is worth much more I got air and water and love Friends that I'm certain were gifted from above And everything that's new to me is an opportunity So I'm gonna grow Well I say everything that's new to me is an opportunity So I'm gonna grow, grow, grow And you can grow Let's try to visualize what goes on inside the human body when pain or danger threatens. The adrenal glands release hormones into the blood. The heart pumps the blood carrying these chemical messengers to all parts of the body. In the liver, they release an emergency ration of stored sugar into the bloodstream. The heartbeat accelerates. The blood pressure goes up. Breathing becomes faster. From this point of view, we may describe emotions as primitive biological reactions to painful or threatening stimulations from outside, intense responses involving the whole body. From the very beginning, the human baby is equipped with this emotional defense setup. As his experiences grow, his emotional responses become more varied. Here is a boy just beginning to explore the world, with curiosity, with eagerness. But the road of exploration is not smooth. He is unable to handle his blocks, and so he is frustrated and disturbed. Sister is too young to help. Here comes mother. The toy hammer is a good release for his emotional and physical reactions, and soon the blocks are forgotten. Someday he'll be able to meet such frustrating incidents without crying. What did you think about the ride? It was great! 
And apparently, I've never been on live television before, but apparently sometimes I don't watch the sh I don't watch the news because I'm a kid, and apparently every time, apparently Grandpa just gives me a remote after we watch the Powerball. From day to day, his play experiences are increasing, not without occasional upsets. These are his sister's crayons. And here's Lynn to claim her right. Don't a man, you bad, bad boy. This is a familiar scene and a very significant one. Observe how Lynn uses words to express her emotions. That's quite a step forward from crying or hitting. Bad, bad boy. Sometimes grown-ups find a child's sincere expression of emotions shocking and so may tend to undermine the child's emotional sincerity. Lynn, dear, play with your brother. Come on, darling. Play with your brother. I don't like him. Well, Lynn, you don't really mean that. You love your brother, of course. I don't like him. Oh, be nice to brother. He's our baby. Lynn is jealous of the baby and shows it. No use telling her that she must love Toby. Right now she wants to get rid of the baby as competition for mother's love. Mother's insistence that she must love Toby not only confuses her, but increases her jealousy. Sit down! I am as soon as I get a pair of glasses I can see out of. What do you have to say? I can't see. Thank you for your delicious candy. You're welcome. Would you like to have a piece of this? What? Would you, would you like to have a piece of candy? I don't want a piece of candy. All right. I just don't want any, Arlene. I just brushed my teeth. That's too bad. You can brush them again. Yeah, I just brushed oh, 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 oh. <laughs> And I wish you'd quit looking at all those old pictures. Wouldn't they make you sad? Would you like to be that young and pretty? You hear me? What? I don't have my hearing aid on. What the hell do you want? I says, quit looking at all those pictures. I haven't seen them before. For yeah, but gee, don't they make you sad? Maybe you'd like to be young and <laughs> Young like that again, you dummy. <laughs> She's so dumb. Looking at those dumb pictures. You know, I don't like to look at old pictures. They make me sad, Brandon. Do you know that? That's stupid. And she can't see good anyway. Another example. This one about learning and unlearning signals that cause emotional upsets. Patsy is scared of dogs, and so is her mother. Patsy's fear is strengthened by the examples of her mother's uneasiness. Whenever she comes out, there's a threatening animal on the street. Gradually, she withdraws from playing outside. One day, her father comes home from the office with a present. She's eager to see it. But out of the box comes a stuffed dog. No, she doesn't like dogs, not even stuffed dogs. 
it may take a long time for Patsy to become friendly to dogs. That is, to unlearn her fear of dogs. But not all so-called childish upsets are confined to little children. For instance, a youngster may fall back to bedwetting in protest against a new baby. Another may revert to thumb-sucking or nail-biting when facing an unpleasant or threatening situation, a new teacher, or stern parental demands. Adolescence is an especially sensitive age. Sometimes the fear of new responsibilities makes adolescents act in what we call a childish manner. These excursions to less mature behavior are often indications that some disappointment or pressure is weighing upon the youngsters. Recognizing this, parents, friends, and teachers can help them to overcome their troubles and return to a more mature level. We are getting increasingly aware that the emotional causes sometimes lead to physical discomforts, like in the case of this girl. Taking medicine alone may not cure her. Often a competent physician will decide to call upon a psychiatrist or psychologist to help him probe deeper into the emotional causes of certain ailments. Bring me birds with broken wings, men with all the answers, people who have killed. Give me incurable cancers, bring me peaches slick and oil. Give me disregard for doubt, streetlights shine on broken roads where no one is about. I want that hopeless green depression, punishments without a cause. Give me a potent obsession, a disregard for laws. I want the trees in single file, bring the corpse of something rare. Show me children who are sinners, show me mounds of human I climbed up the mountain just to kill my son An angel tried to stop me with a ram Well he said your mind's infected But I said you like perspective You gotta walk the bottom if you wanna see the top La da 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 La da 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 La da 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 Stop spinning, teach my children not to think I want the fruit that tastes like nothing Extra thumbs for every fruit But give me lessons without questions Mild disdain for books Give me metaphors unraveled Poetry defined, bring me the head of Dionysus But please don't spell out the why Trade the future for the present Trade me ashes for my history I don't need no inside I know the answer to the mystery I climbed up the mountain just to kill my son An angel tried to stop me with a ram Well, he said your mind's infected But I said you lack perspective You gotta walk the bottom if you wanna see the top La da 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 La da 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 La da 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 Turning back I don't care if things get ugly Once the word of God has spoken There's a way to take it back
emotions tend to express themselves even when we try to hide or suppress them. When continuously suppressed, they may go underground and may interfere with bodily functions such as digestion or elimination, or they may disturb the heart and circulation, or give rise to recurrent headaches. Symptoms of such ailments are often called psychosomatic. Psychosomatic are such physical disturbances that have emotional causes. Up to now, we've been discussing mostly emotional upsets. But our satisfactions are emotions too. The natural love of parents for children is one of them. The affection of parents for each other. The stirrings of attraction between the young adults. All these and many more are high points of emotional satisfaction. The study of emotions is a complex subject. This film set out only to create an awareness of this problem by showing that we all are born capable of emotions, that we develop emotionally through living with others, that there is no golden rule or magic formula for emotional maturation, that emotions cannot be denied, only suppressed. If we recognize and accept our emotions, if we learn to channel them to useful purposes, they will become the raw materials for the building of healthy personalities, capable of feeling and therefore of living rich and full lives as useful members of society.
once I get it Chapter one. Would you like to have chapter two? You better, son of a bitch. I know the way. For many years, youth culture creation has been the forerunner in Western civilization engineering. The younger generation of any given time represents the influential group of the future. Therefore, these generations of youth, in order to ensure civilization follows the intended direction, must be and always have been conditioned and inculcated via culture, mainly pop culture, education, media birthed fanfare, and food for identity. The idea of finding oneself, for example, is many times accomplished through pop culture, media and establishment generated culture, a concept we call culture creation administered by examples like the entertainment industry via secret intelligence with its roots and foundation in weaponized anthropology brought to us by examples like margaret mead and gregory bateson with its roots in further back ideologues like wilhelm reich uh, charles darwin and social darwinism to gnosticism and alchemy and well you can see the development of it all over time from Nimrod to Simon Magus, John Dee, Sabati Zevi, Darwin, Crowley, Freud, Bernays, Huxley, Kinsey, to modern wizards like Moonviz or uh, Robert W. Pittman. We'll get to Pittman in a moment, but from Gnostic alchemy and Kabbalah to secular humanism and behaviorist scientism to, well, modern cable television. All these ideas and doctrines consolidated into a culture that fits perfectly into a little box for humans to sit in front of and learn from for hours a day. Youth culture creation via the television and mass media got its official start in the 50s, of course following its predecessor, the radio. The technology of using radio waves to carry information or sound modulated properties of electromagnetic energy through space, or as occultist Thomas Edison coined it, etheric force. Radio, as most if not all forms of technology, was first perfected within the military for alleged communication during World War I. Though it appears, and more importantly, radio was to be developed into a home appliance a new opportunity to tap millions at once. The first social program of the state. Radio Broadcasting K 
casting spells and creating culture, shaping perspective, or forming reality in all living rooms across the nation. Similar to how the television would follow suit, and then the personal computer, and now the handheld mobile smartphone. One of the first uses of radio was social engineering from the beginning. With Franklin D. Roosevelt, radio was used to sell FDR's new socialist regime called the New Deal of the 30s. At once, millions were reached with one message, mass acceptance and a joyous reception via the newness of American technology. In the relaxed state of comfort in one's own home, huddled up with family members, enthralled by the voice peering from a box. The New Deal was a welfare state prelude program that was sold to America single-handedly by the radio broadcasting system. A great source for a look at radio propaganda of this time is the, uh, the book Psychology of Radio by Cantrell and Alport. Cantrell quotes, by its very nature, radio was a powerful agent of democracy because it penetrated all levels of social, political, and economic barriers. Radio has the potential to be the biggest factor in shaping social solidarity. Well, today we would call this social engineering or state-designed mind control. And this is exactly what it was from the beginning. But, of course, and as always, it is disguised in the veil of entertainment. For example, the black community targeting show Amos and Andy was utilized specifically to run systematic FDR New Deal propaganda spots throughout each airing. And we all understand this was a blackface type of show for the black community, yet they were actually white men playing the roles, playing the characters. Uh, this ensured black support and offered the uh, population a false sense of security, identity, and importance. Now, early on in the 20s, under uh, National Broadcasting Corporation, or NBC, and of course, uh, Columbia Broadcasting System, or CBS, uh, programmers and government bodies began to realize that radio had the power to control the actions of man and would gain the trust of the audience that was listening. Immediately, radio programming utilized Bernaysian techniques and aired agents of influence as alleged experts to influence the audience by appealing to authority. Here, radio personalities were created and became not only agents of influence, but trusted sources of information that millions would grow to depend on for their perception of what is happening in the world around them. Dialogue could save the world, said Lewis Hill in 1942, ACLU member and leftist propaganda artist, also founder of the uh, pioneering progressive radio station KPFA in Pacifica, California. In 1951, KPFA receives the first major grant for the support of a non-commercial broadcast operation by, of course, the Ford Foundation. KPFA would go on to be a widely respected and trusted so-called independent radio source, yet from its start, it has been a controlled opposition propaganda outlet funded by major establishment foundations, mainly Ford and Carnegie as well. Why KPFA? Why Pacifica? 
Well, this was the early 1950s, less than 20 miles from San Francisco. And what better way to prime a mass group for a new left counterculture movement that is only a decade away? Radio broadcasting. Who do you think sold the world the Grateful Dead, the hippie and new age movements, the anti-war socialist brigades, uh, the degenerate beat generation, free love and secular humanism? None other than KPFA. Well, let's just say they were at the front lines of these movements. The counterculture and the new left had a permanent home at KPFA, and still do. A Herculean bullhorn to shout their rhetoric and mantras to the masses. And yes, Ford Foundation, with the assistance of the OSS, CIA, would go on to fund other social operations like PBS, Public Broadcasting Service, um, the Rand Corporation, the Aspen Institute, and as well, Bilderberg. Ford also funded Margaret Mead's work and the development of Tavistock Institute. We will show why these two projects are so important later, but for now, we will focus on the radio. Oh, and let us not forget the beloved and alleged independent radio station NPR, National Public Radio. Yeah, Ford funded as well. Radio would be used to not only shape public perspective, identity, and uh, political theory, but to create mass gatherings and revolutionary protest similar to how its offspring, the internet, namely uh, social media, is producing the same things today and being used for the same ends and agendas. Then just like the internet today, radio transformed a generation practically overnight. From audio waves to mass public action. But how did they know how to do this? They used music, certain bands and their attitudes, uh, movies and advertisements, uh, the cult of personality, and the manipulation of sound waves to literally transform society. How did they know how to use radio to accomplish all of this? Well, aside from the Kabbalist, occult, or spiritual aspects of radio that we find in Thomas Edison, we find the scientific answer for this in 1939 at the Princeton University under the auspices of figures like Hadley Cantrell, uh, Paul Lazarfeld, and uh, John Marshall. And of course, Frankfurt School elite and OSS agent himself, Theodore Adorno. The Princeton Research Radio Project set the stage for sound and media social engineering. The Princeton Research Radio Project studied the social psychological effects of messages in radio and its mass programming capabilities or potential, especially the 1938 War of the Worlds Halloween airing, where Orson Welles aired a uh, false flag type of story over the radio, uh, sold as being real, but in fact it, it was a fake story. This, this would be a, a very early example of your first fake news. And it was done on purpose and studied at Princeton to see how a crowd reacts to um, dangerous or alarming information. Though the Princeton Radio Project had hundreds of uh, sub-projects, it presented the foundation for all similar studies to follow. 
like the monumental Macy's conferences of the 50s, for example, where cybernetics was started, and especially all the MKUltra projects. Princeton stood as a key starting point. Adorno and scientists wanted to know how human behavior correlates with music, the audio control of human emotions to find effective crowd control techniques, audio that would or could induce mass hysteria, and overall, the creation of manageable subcultures via music and sound, melodic and rhythmic organization. Establishing radio and television as a meta-analysis of mass subjectivity. The Princeton Radio Project also studied the dynamics of music, sound, and light, and the electronic development of bioenergetic psychoacoustics. Coined by Jack Lacan, these studies would later bring us light shows and sound shows we saw in the psychedelic era in raves and uh, music festivals and in clubs and casinos. The radio to television, uh, the psychedelic to discotheques and rave electronica, decade to decade. All these eras find their psychobiological and technological foundations in the Rockefeller family funded Princeton Research Radio Project of 1939. And several years after this project, it is no surprise that radio broadcasting services began to encapsulate America like never before, much stronger than its infantile days during FDR and the New Deal, and much more effective by now utilizing music and the culture that came with it to shape the society that consumes it. With the 50s in full swing, so was the growth in production and use of the television. At this time, NBC, ABC, and CBS all were transitioning their primetime radio programming to the new medium. And it is here where monumental culture change began to take place. Though television was marked to change culture, it would also create subcultures and cultural dialectics between them. Probably the most vital subculture created during this time was the media creation of the teenager. A new target population and control group to shape, indoctrinate, and sell a new identity. This was accomplished nearly single-handedly through Hollywood celebritism, and namely James Dean, or um, Elvis. It's shocking. I watched him gyrate his legs and swivel his hips. And our parent-teachers group feels he should not be on television. And the new teen film propaganda campaign that was unleashed on the American public via cinema and television. And of course, music. And to add to identity, things like blue jeans and the automobile were included to round out the parameters of this new, hip, and rebellious youth, or better, teen culture. Not only could they sell this group products, but moreover they could sell them ideas, a lifestyle, and in result, manufacture identity, and change a generation, and the future forever. 
This new rebellious teen culture would pave the way for the uh, beatniks and hipsters, or the counterculture of the 60s, and the new wave culture clubs of the 80s. During the infancy of television programming, Hollywood celebritism and major media networks in general, the 1950s was an era where science, alchemy, and global government proponents were not only entertaining Americans, they were actually structuring state-of-the-art mind control behind the scenes. Uh, the Macy conferences officially brought physical scientists and behaviorists and psychiatrists together at the same table to study the dynamics between human behavior and machines and the effects of technology on the humankind. Moreover, what types of technology and which types of techniques would be required to predict, explain, and control the behavior of humans? It is no coincidence that immediately as these conferences ended, music industries, Hollywood productions, and television programming blossomed nationwide. At this time, Stanford Research Institute was building Disneyland in Anaheim. Hugh Hefner was debuting Playboy magazine, and Alan Dulles was beginning the MK Ultra projects. And of course, Frankfurt School's Theodore Adorno just published his authoritarian personality piece, formulated and released on the UC Berkeley campus, which of course spread like wildfire across all universities. National mind control was now at its peak growth period. Media, science, technology, education, all angles were being covered, with Ford, Rockefeller, Carnegie and Mellon foundations fronting the bill, while the OSS, CIA, American Jewish Committee, CFR, amongst many other think tanks, put all the pieces in their proper places. But in order for Adorno and Orkenheimer of the Frankfurt School to bring in their new age left, or Margaret Mead and her Wilhelm Reich-inspired license to be a pervert, or free love culture fantasy to become a reality, American culture had to be destabilized. Christianity moral codes had to be severely undermined. And by 1950, this was officially kick-started by the media-manufactured teenager subculture. In 1944, the manufacturing began, with always the media-conditioning propaganda of Skull and Bones publication, the Time Life magazine franchise. The hit story on the new rave of American teen girl life took center stage, opening the door for Seventeen magazine that same year. And the new concept of the teeny bopper, youth consumer culture, a rebellious film and music. Serial dating and premarital sex in automobiles. Time, Life magazines, uh, amongst other mainstream publications, have always played major roles in the formation of culture, specifically the directing of culture and engineering of subcultures. Of course, the uh, bebop and swinger scenes catapulted this new teen craze, the uh, hypnotic dance and trends of dress, the identifying music and intimate lyrical content and romantic song concepts 
um, leather jackets and uh, tucked cigarettes and t-shirt sleeves, saddle shoes and bobby socks, poodle skirts and jukeboxes. All these things were not only fresh and exciting, even attractive, but in many ways were commonly forbidden. But through the allegiance of radio, television, and music, the state and its trained social engineers were determined to normalize these new and provocative concepts. Now, I know, to us today, these concepts appear rather innocent. Yet it's important to understand they were mere entry-level ideals set to be tweaked and polluted over the decades to come. See, this had to be done in increments perverted over time to eventually bring in the new dark age, the postmodern techno cult and aeon of Horus, new Babylonia. So to begin this complex process, radio had to be perfected in the Princeton radio projects. Society and its in-group behaviors had to be understood, predictable, manageable to ultimately structure the post-World War II social hive mind. Once the state earned the trust and control via radio broadcasting of the public, the culture had to then be disjointed and splintered into subgroups, mainly parent versus child. This was accomplished through the creation of the teen and with the addition of television, Hollywood, and a new booming music industry to radio, the generation gap in American culture war began, posing a formidable threat to its Christian moral fabric and social stability as an independent nation. It's just a matter of putting first things first. If God is in charge of the universe, then doesn't it logically follow that we are responsible to him? And therefore, isn't it up to us to seek his will for our lives? To find out why we are really here on this earth. To discover how God wants us to use our talents, our abilities, and our energies. With all of the challenges facing us, isn't this the first and the greatest? To find ourselves and our destinies in God's plan. Uh, very powerful stuff. What more do you want? I am a ghost named Seldom Seen. I mastered the ability to ignore phony people and telephone rings at an early age. I am Horace Tapscott and Billy Higgins round about midnight at the world stage trying to explain a love supreme to a band that's been infiltrated by the powers that be. I shop work, I style free, I attract all manners of divine yeses so eventually ain't won't nobody know me. I am Jimmy Baldwin. Nobody knows my name. I am Sun Ra, third eye, marching jam session through the streets of Harlem on the way back home from a gig yo day. This level of righteous sincerity can only be lived by those who have become comfortable with silence. I am a spirit named Seldom Seen. My scene is the quietest side of the temple archives. You will recall back in grammar school roll call when so many children were just here, but a few of us, we 
we were present. We hyperactive listeners. We overhear minus the ear hustle. We muscle our way into our own subconscious. We're comfortable with the idea of poems taking multi-year gestation periods. Writer's block is just a myth perpetuated by the impatient with the patience of outpatients while we believe in the poem taking as much time as it requires to itself, to write itself before we even endeavor. I am a spirit named seldom seen. I, I show up on the scene with all types of invisible flashy chains and rings. I am D the schizophrenic. I have no ego. I cannot be motivated by controversy or gossip. I'm an aberration. I can only be seen through the mind's eye. I do not reality show. Uh, I used to catch a flight every three and a half days. Used to sit and listen to poets at least four times a week. I've studied the parameters of my art form. I am confident in the space from whence I speak. I used to channel Thelonious Monk but I had to strike chords to eat but now when young poets ask me for advice I tell them to consistently figure out what you emphatically care about then continuously dig deep baby dig deep I am a spirit named seldom seen and you're liable to hear all types of crazy and strange things about my past and you should always feel free to ask but the short story about my dark ways is how I took the long path to enlightenment and now I live in a brick church with no windows and stainless glass floors plenty of open archways where some choose to project their own doors and who am I to talk I mean I still have to work on not projecting mine till I'm Geechee Don effortless to connect with but damn near impossible to find my head is in the clouds my body in the wind and my spirit is to help you find your own until I'm seldom seen again now go find the others dot com yeah man I'll tell you what that dang old internet man you just go on there and point and click 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 it's real easy man